Manage Self, Lead Others podcast. My name is Nina Sunday, and I'm so pleased to be talking today with Nigel Payne, who I met in Australia when he came out to Australia a few years ago. Welcome, Nigel. Thank you very much indeed, Nina. It's a pleasure to talk to you. And at the time that I did a one-day workshop with Nigel, he was presenting a pre-convention workshop for the Australian Institute of Training and Development. Nigel was the former head of learning and development at the BBC television and was involved in a project where they rolled out leadership training to about 6,000 staff. That was an amazing project, Nigel. It was. It was a big project. It was uh, the first time there'd ever been a, an, any attempt at a comprehensive leadership development program for everyone who led more than three people in the organisation. So it was a lot at stake, uh, a lot of pressure on me to deliver, and we tried to do something original, um, something that would basically change the organisation forever. That was the the modest aspirations. So it was not it was not about making people think about leadership. It was making people change their behaviour, fundamentally change their behaviour, and therefore change the organisation. That was the aim. And and you've written eight books. You've got you've got a professorship at the uh, Napier University. Yes, which is in Edinburgh. In Edinburgh, yes. Yeah, and you are also a lecturer in the doctorate program at the Chicago Business School. Yes, I do uh, executive development for Chicago Booth uh, Business School, but I, mostly in the Middle East uh, and and in London. It's, I'm working with their, they've got a campus in London, so I work with their London campus rather than with Chicago. Right. Uh, I re rarely go to Chicago. And I also teach for the University of Pennsylvania on a doctoral program, which I'm also a, an academic director of that doctoral program. It's called the CLO program. And University of Pennsylvania is an Ivy League university based in Philadelphia. And I'm very proud of that program. I've been with it since it began and it's now in its 14th year. Well, I'm very proud to have your esteemed self on our podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I'd like to mention that during that workshop, one of the things that you mentioned in passing when you were talking about the shift from abstract theories in leadership training to behaviour-based training, you mentioned Google's Project Oxygen. You only mentioned yes. it once, but my ears pricked up, my curiosity was awakened, and that has taken me down a path for the last uh, few years where when I do my own leadership presenting and training, I frequently refer to the eight good behaviours of a manager as described by Google's Project Oxygen. So I want to thank you for putting me on a path that I consider to be a good one. <laughs> thank you, Nina. What, what I liked about it was when you think about Google, the might of Google, they could have paid for anybody to come and deliver anything to them. But instead, they looked at internally they look within and they looked at what differentiated their best leaders from their not so good leaders and they focus project oxygen not on their best leaders because they were doing fine they focused on bringing up their weakest leaders to at least competent if not better than competent and therefore it was about behavior and it was about encouraging people to follow those behaviors and it's all database they brought those behaviors emerged from masses of data that they crunched so i thought it was a very interesting model for leadership development and in my leadership book i write about project oxygen now it's a long time ago now it's kind of in the lost in the midst of time probably 
inside Google, but I think it's still relevant as an approach, an evidence-based approach, focusing on changing behavior. And it was transformational inside the company. Well, the good news is, Nigel, is that Google is continuing with that, uh, the eight good behaviors. They've actually identified another two. They're evolving uh, the Project Oxidite idea. And here are the new two ones, or the two new ones. Number nine, collaborates across Google. So about collaboration. And number 10 is a strong decision maker. Yes, good. Both of those relevant. And yeah. that's also close to my heart because I, you know, that my whole fundamental philosophy about learning culture is that it's about collaboration across the organization. It's not an individual thing. It's not a department or a team thing. It's across the whole organization. That's what makes the difference, sharing information. And I think as Google got bigger and more complex and was working in more countries, it lost that a little bit. It lost that collaboration. And it's tried very hard to pull it back again. Oh, right, right. And so having myself being on that path of looking at the eight good behaviours, being a good manager, a manager is a good coach, and they support uh, their team members, you know, if they have any issues at home, such as maybe children uh, having to study for exams or aging parents, or maybe there's a health issue. And of course, we're, many of us have family members facing health issues at the moment. Um, one of the things when I went to your website to invite you to speak was I discovered that you were referring to some brand new research by the um, uh, Josh Burson Academy, whose uh, papers and uh, blog articles I was reading uh, avidly uh, about five years ago. It's called the Big Reset Playbook. And it's available for anybody free if they want to uh, Google the- yep, uh, completely free. Yeah. And, and reading that, there were it, it kind of describes, and I'll let you tell us more about it. It describes kind of a process that people, that companies and organizations have been going through since COVID started and while we're still in the midst of it. So what, what has Burson sort of uh, nailed and identified? Well, what he's getting at is that we're in, in the middle of a process now with the, the, the current kind of crisis. I guess, I, I know it's cliche to say the, the COVID crisis, but all our organizations, or the very large majority of our organizations have had to adjust to something really crippling and dynamic and very, very complicated. And what Burson has come up with is a few simple processes that you need to go through. So he's basically saying that the first stage is having to deal with it. So react, react, make decisions, respond instantly, patch over, use sticking plaster, pack it together with tape, whatever, respond, Survive. get stuff done. The next one is begin to develop new protocols. So think about what's changed, what you want to retain, what you don't want to retain. And then the final stage of his playbook is transform. So take the new stuff, use it, embed it, build back better. That's my phrase, build back better. So don't just try and go back to where you were before. Don't try and live in a world of sticking plaster and, and sticky tape. Live in a world where you've thought it through, where you can do new things better than you did before and transform your organization so that as we return back to something a little bit more approaching normal, make it a better world, 
better for your employees, more productive, more customer focused, whatever it is. So that's what he's talking about. There's a pathway to transformation. And it's a, it's very much a part of the, the what we've had to do in order to survive and thrive. We've had to make changes that somehow we want to keep the baby and only throw out the bathwater. So we want to actually keep those things that actually work now. For example, before COVID, employers were very reluctant to let people work from home. And maybe they don't want people to work entirely from home when we can actually go back to work. But there seems to be this push to for hybrid working where it is now more acceptable to work from home as well as from office. And also we don't have to worry that people are going to slack off because they're actually working harder from home than, than, than ever before. I mean, I don't know how we can explain that phenomenon. Why are people working well, harder? It's basically, if you give people a little bit of slack, you get a lot back in terms of productivity that, that no one really is ever gonna go back to horrible long commutes having to be in a place by a certain time in the morning having to be there call it I, you know i call it presenteeism that yeah. presenteeism leads to people just doing what they can the minimum giving a giving people a bit of slack saying let's try to make work fit better in with your life you get more engagement more energy and higher productivity that doesn't mean that i, I think everyone will work forever from home but I don't think we'll ever go back to everyone working always from the office. And I think uh, the other trend that is coming out is that um, people in, in organisations don't want to be told, well, now that COVID's over, you have to come back to work. It's like uh, they, staff in organisations want to feel like their needs are being listened to and met and there's flexibility. Yeah, I agree. It's it's basically it's like my theory that that the micro bullying manager is now dead. That oh. it, you just p bullies people not helping, simply trying to put pressure will push back. In in a COVID world where your your manager is a long way away from you physically, you can say, "I'm sorry, I can't do that." No, that's impossible in this context. So those people begin to look stupid and irrelevant. The manager who says, "How can I help? What can I do to support you? What kind of productivity do you need? What time do you need to finish this project? How can I speed that up? Can I put you in touch with? They're the managers who revealed massive productivity gains by being supportive. The exact opposite. The bullies showed that they destroyed productivity. They're never going to come. They're never going to come back. That's not going to change. But I think what we've got now is people having the courage to say what they want more articulately than they ever dared to before. That's right. So I they think we're in a new this. era. One yes. of the things that um, Burson talks about is the rise of trust. Yes. And Trust is very important. Yes. yes. If you've got everyone working from home, surrounded by cats, children, and often partners, then you, you have to trust that people will get on and do their best. And by and large, the vast majority of people are good people who want to do their best. And trying to force them to be visible, force them to sign in, force them to give a, a minute account of what they did every day, i.e. betraying that trust, is incredibly destructive. 
exactly. appreciating that trust is fundamental. And in my book, in my learning culture book, the workplace yes. learning book, trust is fundamental. What, what I'm saying in the book is without trust, nothing else falls into place. You cannot build a learning culture. You cannot create learning organizations where there's no trust. Why would I tell you anything if I don't trust what you're going to do with it? Why would I? Why would I share anything with you? Why would I ever admit I don't know anything or I screwed up on that if I don't trust you? Trust is what creates openness and sharing and an, an acknowledgement that we're in a learning process. We're not learned, we're learners. Without trust, we hide it all. We pretend we know more than we do. We pretend that we are, we are infallible and we pretend that no one can help us. And it's not based on authenticity. It's based on no. uh, superficial uh, lack of self-confidence, really. Yeah. yeah, fear. It's based on fear. Lack of trust is fear. And love. Fear that you're going to be humiliated. Fear that you're going to be fired. Fear that you're going to be punished in some way. That's right. Look, Burson talks about learning all the time being a, th a trend, and that's definitely your book was published January this year, isn't that right? Workplace learning. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's it came out at a perfect time in a way, because uh, and I think a lot of the model in the book, the processes in the book have been validated. I know there's there's still a lot of debate about whether learning culture is far too nebulous to be anything to aim for, but I actually think that if you focus on my fundamental conditions for building a learning culture you will make your organization better, happier, and more successful. Even if you still don't quite get there to the learning culture, you're on a, you're on a journey, it's a process, it's not a product. And if people get that message, I think that they will A, be more resilient and able to deal with things like COVID, COVID and B, create more productive and happier workplaces. And that's, I think that's very important, particularly Absolutely. in this climate, it's very important. And in this paper, Burson quotes the Sanofi example where they wanted uh, staff to learn. And so that they set a goal of a number of hours of learning per, uh, per employee. And yet, aren't there some organisations that are going, oh, you know, we don't know what's happening, so we'll just tighten the, the purse strings and we won't do any learning until we know what's happening. Are they the ones yeah. that are not going to thrive when recovery happens? They're the ones that see learning as a cost, as a, a, an add-on where, when it's possible, when the circumstances are right. And one of the things that I don't think anyone would argue with me in saying that one of the things that has emerged from this crisis is that we don't know enough to be able to deal with it. We need to learn new things. We need to try new approaches. We need to innovate. We need to reframe. And how you can do those things without learning, I don't know. So that I would agree, those organizations which have sacked their learning departments, and a number have done that, are the ones that are going to struggle most. Those that have embraced learning, have encouraged staff to find out, to communicate, to think about the issues more deeply, are the ones that are going to come through it smoother, quicker, and reestablish faster. Exactly, because it seems to me that if they've sacked their learning department, they're trying to act as if it's, uh, you know, things are normal, they, you know, status quo, and it's going to require an innovative, adaptive approach moving forward into the future. Yeah, I think so. It, it's, got to, it's, it's about flexibility, agility, resilience, and those things come 
with people who have a growth mindset, who believe in their ability to learn, believe in their ability to do things differently. And if you've got an organization which is saying the opposite, i.e. you just do what you're told, you just carry on doing it in the same way, but just do more of it and work harder, that's the way forward. They won't be ever resilient and they won't be agile and they'll run into brick walls. And and these are the these are the managers that treat their staff as if you know they bark orders at them, and it's almost like creating a parent-child relationship instead of adult to adult. It's saying, "Don't think, just do." And in a world where thinking is really important, working it out, trying to adapt and cope. And if you put someone working from home, struggling without the networks, uh, IT networks, and without the normal network of people, and say, don't think, just do, you're, I think that's a recipe for absolute disaster. Mm. You need people to work it out for themselves, to adapt, to build new pathways of communication. And what's been very interesting is that organizations with very locked down, secure communications networks, which have really struggled in this remote universe. One of the interesting things is even big companies, IT has failed because it can't really cope with new locations outside the, outside the building. Those organizations, the, the in, innovative, interesting staff have said things like, let's just set up a WhatsApp group and not tell anyone. So they built their own communication part. Let's set up a Slack group, not tell anyone. So they're managing to cope by innovating. But organizations have to catch up with that and have to recognize that in new times, we need new, new ways of doing things and imposing the old ways, even when they're not working. It's like, you know, when you're in a hole, stop digging. These people are in a hole and they're just digging more and more furiously and frantically and it's not working. And I'm not surprised. Yes, there's a principle in, in innovation called building the plane while flying the plane. Yeah. I love that metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, that's what we're doing. You know, essentially, organizations are re re reassembling themselves yes. as they're going along, they working out new ways. Yeah. And, and they've they done it amazingly. Sorry? I'm they've done it brilliantly. Some organizations have been absolutely stunning at the way they've turned on a pinhead. And, and I really admire them. And others have just gone crashing into problem after problem. Now, your, your book was written before covid what, yes. would, what would be a theme that you would, uh, you know, for your next book, what would be a theme that you would add that what, you know, wasn't, it wasn't um, something you would talk about until COVID arose? But well, well, I'm actually doing, I've been asked to do a second edition of the book, which I'm going to deliver next year. Right. So I, I, I will have a chance to go back and re-examine the book in the light of COVID. But I, I think the things that I would reinforce are this, this constant remaking, this idea of being restless and never being satisfied. Nothing is ever fixed for very long. And creating a culture in the organization where staff don't find that a, a real, oh, no, not again, but see that as being an exciting, dynamic yes. and learning environment. So I'd, I'd emphasize the need for a growth mindset and emphasize the need to share and emphasize for organizations to take on that learning. And I think one of the things that I've learned in the last few months is that there is a difference between individuals in organizations learning and organizational learning. And I know that sounds crazy, but it, I think it's true that organizations need to learn and organizations learn in the spaces between individuals. So it's, it's creating 
the resilience of organizational learning so that it doesn't matter whether individuals come and go, the organizational learning continues. Yes. And that isn't reinforced clearly enough in the book, but it will be in the second edition, that I promise you. Well, it's great that your book is so recently published because it's a perfect opportunity to revise it and put out a second edition. Um, and where can people get your book, Nigel? They get it from the publisher, Kogan Page, www.koganpage.com. And if you look up my author page, I've got uh, my three books are all published by Kogan Page, are all on the same page. If you order one of them, if you put in Friends of Nigel in capital letters as one word, so Friends of Nigel, that gives you a 20% discounted. I'll post that in the podcast notes so people can... can't can't be can't be more generous than that. 20% discount. <laughs> That's excellent. Thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm sure our some our listeners will be very, very keen to get your book, Nigel. So um and Thank second you. edition will be even more fabulous. Look, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking with you. I mean, I could go on for another 20 minutes, but our time has come to an end. Thank you so much for beaming in from London. Is it London? It's a pleasure. Yes, from London, indeed. The centre of London. London That's where to I am Brisbane, London. Australia. So. Yeah, London to Brisbane. What an amazing journey. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you. one day I'll be back in Brisbane. Who knows when? <laughs> I've been trying to get to Australia since April. I, I'm now trying in November to get to Australia, but it means quarantine and there's so few people allowed into Australia. I'm in a queue. 30,000 Australians are trying to get back to Australia at the moment. That's I'm true. just one of them. <laughs> oh, wow. But I'll get there. Good I will luck. get there. We'll see you in Australia soon. All right. Thank you, you will see me as soon as I possibly can. Thank you, yeah. Nina. Thank you so much for talking. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. We've been speaking with Nigel Payne uh, and this is the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast. And... Uh, Till next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>